Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. This is a Tuesday episode, so with me is my friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how's it going? Good morning, Bradley, from PNT Netware here on the Lower East Side, where you are, too. I shouldn't say that only I am here. You are yeah. here. 180 Orchard Street, come by, record a podcast, buy some books, have a coffee. And then also, because I always forget this, um, if you like our podcast, please uh, rate and review it on whatever platform you use. So a couple of things today. So we're heading into the Thanksgiving week. Um, crypto and Twitter are sort of the main topics. We'll touch on those because it feels like we kind of have to. Um, but other than that, I know we've got some other stuff that to me is a little more uh, interesting. Airports, the World Cup. Uh, what was the other one you had? The climate conference. Or the climate conference in, in Egypt. So, yeah. So I think we'll, we'll cover a bunch today. But uh, if you're interested in kind of what's going on in the news right now, you'll get my take on it. So you, you – uh, well, okay, one question, just to sort of throw a clearing question. But yeah. Your opinion on turkey. Are you having turkey? Do you always have turkey? Oh. Do you not want turkey? I'm like, I'm fine. You're with agnostic it. turkey? I'm sort of agnostic. I like it actually the next day better with like cranberry sauce on it, except there's never any leftover cranberry sauce because it's everyone's favorite thing. So it goes. Right. Um, a couple of times we've had a turducken that we've ordered. I remember we've had the yes. turducken conversation yeah. before. And so that that is really good. Um, but it's hard to get people to want to do that. Yeah, I like I like your enthusiasm for the turducken, though. I feel like that's a very Bradley. Well, the the, the two times that I think we've hosted, I've ordered a turducken. <laughs> when I'm in charge, I'll get a turducken. But it's if you even though I'm about as pushy and aggressive as one could probably be, bringing a turducken to someone else's house for Thanksgiving feels like a little too much. One other appetizer question before we get into Twitter. Yeah, um, Elton John has played his last concert in on this continent. Um, I noticed, because I saw you Saturday, that you did not fly to Los Angeles for it um, at Dodger Stadium. No. Um, do you have regrets? I don't have any regrets, although there's a, a lot of songs. Um, that's, okay, number one song, favorite Elton John well, song. Well, so, so Daniel, which is also entitled Your Song, because I sang that to my kids all the time when they were babies and I was putting them to sleep. Oh, so my God. I'm not going to sing on Thank podcast. God no recordings. But, um, like so Maybe I would say do. that. How about you? Do you have a favorite? You're a Benny and the Jets guy. You know what? I do like Benny and the Jets, but my favorite is Rocket Man. That's the best. That's it's one of my. Song. That's one of my top ten songs ever. Right. Well, and which was the one in Almost Famous? That was Tiny Dancer. Yeah, I'm not a Tiny Dancer. I like fan. it. Yeah, you do. I like it. Yeah. You like the softer ones. But here's the thing: I don't believe he's really. Is he sick or anything like that? No, I just think he's old, right? Yeah, but that's how often does a rock star who announces their retirement ever actually stick to it? Well. I think when you get old enough, I will say this about Elton John, too. He is pretty amazing as a performer. Like, he is not a guy who's just going to sit there on a stool and, you know, like, mumble the words. I, I, so I think... I think The I, level of energy he puts in. I think so. Well, I, then this gets back to the, the James Brown Rolling Stones discussion we've been having, which is, in theory, you could just get an Elton John impersonator, put him out there, and just keep breaking in the box. I wonder why people don't do that, but they sort of people, do, right? I think people do. I, I, the Rolling Stones played in London when I was there in June in Hyde Park. Um, I didn't go, but I had a thesis that there was a 40% chance that it wasn't. It certainly wasn't all of the Rolling Stones. Like there were some of them. Well, were one of them's dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy's dead, definitely. But overall, it seems to me that as long as these sort of nostalgic rock acts and, and music acts can sell out stadiums and arenas. Um, just keep it going. It is true. Like the Journey lead singer is like some guy who was like a house painter or something, right? And he just yeah. But they do have to find a guy with one arm, right? Is that Journey or Def Leppard? Uh, the drummer in Def Leppard has one arm, right? But so I don't if think he it... dies and they have an impersonator, that's rough. Yeah, I guess. Okay, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
everybody's freaking out. I listened to NPR this morning. There was a hilarious interview that the, just a level of angst about it was so intense. Um, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, oh my god, this is is this what like Elon Musk wants? He just wants to terrify everybody. Like he just wants to be like, look, it might be over. It might it, the the engineers. No, I, I fired I, all I, the engineers, and it might crash. I don't. I don't actually think that. Like, okay. While I do think that he bought Twitter for attention, and I think he acted rashly just because he wanted attention one morning and got mm -hmm. himself into this giant mess. Um, nobody likes it. I mean, it is failing miserably, terribly. Nobody wants an actual disaster uh, on their hands, especially when he's got something like $25 billion now of his own money uh, in the deal. But to me, like, I don't really give a shit about Twitter. Like, I think it's actually a cesspool. I think it's, it's been more harmful to both journalism and democracy than pretty much any single entity in, in history. So I would love to see Twitter just go out of business completely. But here's where I guess I would be a little concerned if I were Musk, not just the fact that Twitter going out of business and the $25 billion that you have at stake, plus all your buddies who put up money too. Um, so Tesla's market cap as of this morning was $564 billion. General Motors market cap as of this morning was $56 billion. In 2021, General Motors sold over 2.2 million cars. In 2021, Tesla sold around 900,000 cars. So Tesla has 10x the market cap and less than half the sales. I'm amazed they're even that close on number of vehicles. But I mean, I, I realize they're not that close, but still. No, it, they're certainly gaining. Right. But every other company now um, is developing or has multiple, multiple types of electric cars, right? So like when I bought my Tesla, it was because I wanted a really nice car that was electric, and that was the choice, and now I no longer drive a Tesla So because I had other options. So the question is, if Tesla itself is a little bit of a house of cards, yes, it's a real company. Yes, they've done some incredible things. But if ultimately the rest of the industry is catching up, is the demise of Twitter arguably the beginning of the end of the house of cards of Elon Musk, where he has all of these things that are, he's the richest man in the world, not because his car company is actually the best company in the world and therefore it's valued properly. It's because he has this incredible hype machine and this incredible following of retail investors who will just kind of do whatever he says. But um, you're kind of only as good as your last win. And if he's seen now as a failure because he totally screwed this thing up, um, does it have repercussions for ultimately the, the market cap and share price of Tesla? And then as SpaceX eventually goes public, instead of having some asinine, obscene valuation, Maybe it has, gets, pun intended, I guess, shot back down to earth um, and is in more <laughs> line with other actual companies. And so, you know, Musk might have opened up a Pandora's box here. I'm really going great with the cliches this morning. I'm just fucking ripping yeah. them out, man. Um, so yeah, Pandora's but, box is a terrible one, but yeah, yeah okay. but, but he we might, know what you mean. But he might have opened that. And, and in a way, um, and look, this is what always gets you, right? When attention and validation is your main driver ahead of everything else, eventually it takes you down, whether you're Kanye West or Donald Trump or Elon Musk or anyone else, and that very much seems like the case here. Um, so I saw a kind of interesting tweet from Mark Andreessen, who obviously has skin in the game here, but he was saying, oh, there's a good cliche for you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's just try to say cliche as much as we can. Yeah, right. This, this, will be, this will be the cliche Yeah, it's a win-win. So I saw a tweet from Mark Andreessen where he said, hey, if I'm a 25-year-old sort of engineering guy, um, I know where I'm going. You know, I'm going to, to, to Twitter to, to rebuild and be a legend, you know? Like, so the idea is like... Why? 
Well, because he thinks there's a great. I, I mean, first of all, because he loaned uh, or, or spent a bunch of money on on helping Elon with the sure. acquisition. So there's that. But the but the other piece of it is that like we're flushing out all the the you know the the kind of bureaucrats who've 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 like led Twitter nowhere, and we're going to build the real machine that's going to that's going to accomplish what. Uh, you know what its real potential is. Well, so that, that okay, that's an let's, interesting. Let's you, take would, that at face value. Okay. Because I, look, I do think that's, that, that's a good one. Face value. Oh God, <laughs> not, not even intentionally. It's pathetic. Um, Elon Musk, with everything I just said, is still an unbelievable business person, an entrepreneur, an innovator. And Mark Andreessen is definitely a smart man, even if he's wrong about a bunch of things sometimes. Um, you put that all together. Okay, fine. Let's accept that a huge chunk of Twitter, 25%, whatever it is, were just useless bureaucrats that could be eliminated. Great, good for you, you eliminated them. But ultimately, the potential to fulfill what? It's, it's at best sort of just this message board of people bitching and moaning or trying to feel relevant, whether it's reporters or politicians or anyone else. Like what's, it, it reaches potential, which is, its potential is to ultimately produce dopamine hits for the people who desperately need them. I guess one of the things that, I mean, I, I don't know that this is a really solid idea, but one of the things Musk has floated is that like it could be like a, like a, like a true town square, not just with people talking, but actually exchange. So that's one of the things that he's kind of floated. You like sort of the his- metaverse, which is tens and tens of billions of dollars <laughs> being spent to develop by companies other than Twitter? Well, no, I think he's thinking more like, like commerce, you know, like plain old. Like. Fine, but you know what? So now you can take on Amazon. Good luck, man. Like <laughs> I, I've read his various visions for the site. None of them. None of them land for you. They're not new ideas. He's right. just just taking what other people do and, and, and cobbling them together. And that's generally because you, that, that you do that when you don't have anything actual to say. Okay, I have um, I have uh, I have one question about crypto. Sure. It's a little bit of a, like a an essay question, even the, even the question. I'm afraid. But so I have to try to respond with include as many cliches no, you as could, possible. Yeah. Well, you definitely need to do that. But, but more than that, you should just. You could, because the question will be long, you could, you could answer short. Okay. <laughs> okay, so here's the question. I know you're not carefully sifting through the coverage, looking for every, you know, nuance and right. variable in it because that's just not your way. Um, but in your experience, what do people get wrong when we go into blame mode? So that's where we are with, with crypto, right? So we're, we're, it's like, it was this thing. The people who, the, the critics were like, were like, see, we knew it all along. This has always been a scam, and here we are. And then the, the true believers are like, look, it's just like these... This has got to get flushed out of the system. Like, yeah, there's some corruption and 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 some some swindlers, but like the core concept remains remains solid. And nobody is like changing their mind or maybe even absorbing new information so much as they're just supporting their pre-existing position. That's so shocking in today's society. No, I know. People would sort of choose to not listen and just calcify their own positions. So in this sort of like aftermath, you know, everybody protecting their reputations, et cetera. What do you see that's actually interesting or, or for pe- like like you don't have a hard and fast view on crypto I don't for nope. whatever that's worth but but you you you're sort of you're not even an agnostic you're just like someone who's like there thinking like okay this is potentially a useful tool mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious to see where it goes I might throw a few bucks here or there yep. but it's not like I'm not all in and I'm not rejecting correct so where do you see I mean it's it's like every single scandal which is and you already made the point Everybody comes up with their own narrative, what they want it to be, and then it becomes all or nothing, right? And so last night I was on a call with someone who knows both Sam Bankman-Fried and the team there pretty well, has done business with them. I won't say who it is, but I asked him, the call wasn't about FTX, but I asked him, I said, tell me, you know, what do you think really happened here? And his view was, look, it was basically immaturity and arrogance and youth 
his view is having done a lot of business with them, are they like total crooks where they're just trying to swindle everyone? No. Are they paradigms of ethics and morality? No. <laughs> but in his view, the biggest problem was you had 10 millennials or Gen Z, whatever they were, millennial, I guess, living in some house in the Bahamas getting high all day, um, you know, making random decisions without nearly the kind of structure and governance and everything else that you need to run a $30 billion company. And so, you know, again, I, th I think he was felled by his lack of sophistication, his lack of, um, you know, his, his, his poor judgment, you know, arrogance, everything else. And so the reality is he's not Bernie Madoff and nor is he a victim. He is someone who did something stupid and shitty and should and will pay a price for it. I bet he does go to jail. We saw Elizabeth Holmes sentenced to 11 and a quarter years in jail last week. Uh, was that surprising to you? The, the, it was a the, lot. Yeah. It was a long sentence. But, um, but at the same time, you know what's going to happen. If you're Sam Bankman-Fried now, I don't know where the case gets brought, um, but it could be, you know, could be out there. Um, the, the prosecutors are going to want to be able to beat that, right? And so they're going to charge him with so <laughs> that much is, That shit. is the ultimate Bradley uh, sort of algorithm right there. There's the, no question uh, about it. It's all <laughs> driven by affirmation. We know this. <laughs> It is interesting. There, there must be a lot of competition even to see who gets to bring the big case, right? So it's obviously a federal case. Yeah. Um, and which prosecutor, uh, whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know where they'll establish sort of the, the nexus of the fraud itself. So it, it could be, you know, but the reality is because crypto is traded in all 50 states, arguably um, you could establish a, a, a fiscal nexus for jurisdiction pretty much anywhere. Um, okay, last week, big news. We haven't even, well, we, we did mention his name, but we didn't talk about this. But Trump, um, tr oh, yeah, Donald Trump, um, he uh, officially threw his hat in the ring. It seemed already like a really long time ago. And um, now, the Republican Party, all the candidates, there's this, there's this groundswell of like, never Trump again. You know, like it's starting to, everyone's beating the drums on yeah. like, this is the time where we get a, you know, a DeSantis or somebody else. So, um, you're in charge. I'm going to throw you in charge just for the sake of conversation, not because you are a supporter of hers, but I'm going to put you in charge of the Nikki Haley campaign for yep. 2024, which is just a generic campaign at this point. What are you doing? What are you talking to your candidate about, about like standing apart from Trump, but yeah. not alienating the base that exists that you need to get both? Well, you're certainly going to need it if you're going to win the, the, the primary or the regular election, but the the general election, but what are what are you, how are you positioning your candidate? Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now, if I'm Nikki Haley, I am staying on the sidelines as much as I possibly so you're gonna, can. It's it's rope a dope, right? Which means one, Trump's going to have all the attention he's going to get, and he's going to attract a lot of votes because his entire message is, "Hey, anyone who's unhappy with their life in a certain demographic, you got screwed, and I'm the only one that gets it and, and feels for you and will get justice for you. Those people aren't any less angry or upset than they were four years ago or eight years ago or anything else. So he's still going to get those votes, right? Do you then, think that number's up or down, by the way? Just like that core, like, It's up right base. now because because of inflation, right? The, right. the economy is, is struggling. And it, when people are sort of having a harder time and making less money and the money goes less far, um, then I think that number goes up. Um, which means we're, we're more vulnerable to populism than we probably were, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, but um, you're going to, someone like DeSantis, I'm sure he's enjoying his moment right now. He's the king. Everyone's praising him. But 
we're now two years out from the election, and he's just about to become a fucking pinata, right? <laughs> People are just going to go after this guy left and right. So that's uh, is that a cliche pinata? It's a good one in this case because mm-hmm. it's it's fun to think I'll, of pinatas always. It. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're right. <laughs> so if I'm Nikki Haley's campaign, you know, I'm raising money, I'm having meetings. Uh, I'm putting ideas out there when it's kind of sensible, conservative, but not crazy, right? But let these guys, you know, punch each other all they possibly can. Let them tire themselves out, um, and then get to a point where, if Trump is going to get, let's call it, 35 percent of the vote, no matter what, um, that's enough to win the primary. It, pretty, it, it should be unless it comes down to to two people, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, Bernie Sanders was getting 35 percent regularly against Hillary Clinton, but didn't didn't win. So um, part of it is you got to see is Trump's base sticking with him, and then if so. You know, how many of the other candidates feel the need to compete over the same patch of voters? And then are there enough voters left otherwise to um, to win? But again, we've talked about this on the podcast before. The thing that I really have come to believe is all of our analysis, um, all of the punditry, all of that is useless and meaningless. Um, so then, in which case, why is anyone listening to this fucking podcast? But putting that aside. Um, <laughs> here you are. Here we are. Uh the candidate that connects viscerally is the candidate that wins, right? And that visceral reaction could be hope, like Obama. It could be fear, like Trump or Giuliani. It could just be sort of a, hey, we need a grown-up in charge, whether that was Bloomberg or Joe Biden. Um, but whatever it is— Well, Biden would seem to be, like, show the—like, was there a visceral yeah, connection the, with Biden? The, the visceral connection was fear of covid and the need for a steady hand, and that justified him, Okay, right? Um, Bernie Sanders had won the first three primaries before South Carolina and was kind of like on his way, and then the minute the world got scary, people were like, fuck this, this old Vermont guy can't do anything, we'll pick this other old Delaware guy instead. Um, was that the country, or was that just the other candidates in the race? I mean, did, did the country decide that? You know, the timing, it's a little bit of both. One, if Biden hadn't won South Carolina, I think it's a different story, but he won South Carolina overwhelmingly. It's seen as a sign that African-American voters are going to strongly back him throughout the election and throughout the country. Right. COVID hits, um, Super Tuesday hits, a bunch of candidates drop out because they don't have the money to stay in the race. And all of that together just sort of coalesces into sort of a, a, a Biden, you know. Uh, okay, so let's talk time frame um, uh, with you in charge of Nikki Haley's campaign. I'm yeah. sure she's delighted to hear that I've hired you. Um, so uh, Campaign manager that won't listen to the candidate. Yeah. But, but how long can she stay out of it? Because I, I think there's two factors. One, or there's probably many more, but one of them is if you're sitting there and you're watching Trump and DeSantis position themselves as the candidates, you're starting to get nervous that nobody's talking about you or thinking about you, if you're just a human, right? Or, or Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think that that's probably right. But I think in this case, you have to have a little bit of discipline and patience and let things play out a bit. Because one, you know, if you're going to connect viscerally, part of it is just who you are, but part of it also is what the moment is, and the moment keeps changing here so, so quickly, number one. Number two, there are so many variables with Trump, right? You know, those stories today saying that Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, thinks he does have grounds to indict him on something. Um, <laughs> what credible credence you give right? that? But, like, <laughs> the point is Trump could be indicted. The January 6th, the, the documents in Mar-a-Lago, those are more serious, right? So so he could be indicted. He could be uh, not indicted. 
Um, there's all kinds of stuff. Ron DeSantis right now is on top of the world. But guess what? Something fucked up is going to happen in Florida. They're going to find something bad about him. Or he's going to screw something up. Or there will be a hurricane and he won't get the response right. Or something typically happens and it changes the dynamic. So the only thing we know is William Goldman said once famously about Hollywood, nobody knows anything. Yeah, we've been talking about that. I think that's a, I think that might qualify as a cliche. Is that a cliche? Right. I think right, it might. Good, it might. Good. Yeah, put one I'm, on glad, I'm glad you score one. Yeah. So let's let, not that we should quickly move through the climate conference, but this is a theme that we've talked about a few times. The UN, um, what do they call it? It's called the COP, which stands for what? The con- the conference on. Preparation? What is it? What is it? I can't I don't remember. Know. Jesus Christ. Like That's so lame. 27 I thought I wrote it down just because I wanted to make sure I knew what it I'm was. I'm sure it's a cliche. Um, <laughs> I think it's a cliche. Um, so uh, it sort of went the way these conferences seem to go. Lots of high hopes. Um, then lots of um, like sore feelings afterwards. Yeah. For, for, um, first of all, let's just start with conferences, generally speaking. <laughs> right? Yes. Is there like, you know, a peace treaty being signed, you know, you know, sure, in those situations, a conference is obviously really important. But in that case, it's a pre-negotiated thing where half a dozen world leaders uh, are agreeing to some sort of truce or whatever it is. And we haven't had one of those in a very long time because the world is the way we communicate has changed. 99.99% of conferences are total bullshit. They are total waste of time. Nothing gets accomplished. They are solely there to be a fun excuse for the people who are participating to get a break from their kids and get a break from their job and go feel special for a couple of days. Um, if you want to get something done, do not fucking hold a conference. Um, and so by definition, uh, all of these conferences are not going to produce anything. The best bet you're going to have is some sort of what they call bilateral meetings where the Saudis and the U.S. You know, negotiators will sit down. Maybe they'll work something out that can announce at the conference. But what? They don't know each other's emails and phone numbers except at the conference? Like, yeah. you don't need the conference. Also, for you that. heard John Kerry couldn't leave his hotel room because he had COVID. So. John Kerry's such an asshole. <laughs> Let me tell you my. Um, <laughs> we're going to have to take that out, aren't we? You're no, going to have to. Oh, you're no, going to leave it in. Oh, we're going to leave it in? Yeah. Okay. Like, I, I remember, you know, um, like he, I, friends of mine on the, on the Kerry campaign in 04 would say, like, let's say he was hungry and he wanted a sandwich. He wouldn't say, like, hey, can someone grab me a sandwich? Be the next president of the United States. You can't get a sandwich around here. He's such a fucking dick. So you know what, John Kerry, whether he stays in the hotel room or not, is completely irrelevant. <laughs> okay, um, we could talk more about the conference, um, but well, why, just, why but, should we? <laughs> well, well, one one point. So it was an interesting story in the paper today. I forget which one about the Saudis and kind of their plans on both how they continue to produce and sell oil, but also how they actually wean themselves off of it so they don't consume their own supply too much that they could sell, and so they can sort of have cover and look like they're moving towards uh, a a different future. But they've invested, it sounds like, $100 billion in various types of research and infrastructure and everything else. The fact that at these climate conferences, we can't even get people to even commit to the thing they already committed to, which is the one and a half degree uh, cap on an increase in, in temperature from emissions is maybe we're never going to kill it. We're never going to solve this thing uh, on the output side, right? We're never going to reduce output significantly through curbing our own behaviors to make a meaningful difference, which means the only solution is not a change in human behavior, it's a change in technology that can account for the human behavior, right? So whether that's, you know, devices on tailpipes that can kind of erase a lot of the emission before it even escapes, or giant carbon capture plants that can take it out of the atmosphere and store it underground, whatever it is, I've become convinced the solution's going to be technology. It's not going to be change in social norms. Um, 
Two more things. Yeah. Um, the World Cup starts. It started yesterday. Um, Ecuador beat the host nation Qatar. Yeah, I had a lot of money on Ecuador. That's great. Uh, <laughs> I hope you don't bet on anything except you bet on obscure companies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not obscure the World Cup, obviously. Um, you have the advantage of, of um, not giving a shit about soccer, so we can nope. just talk about the politics of the World Cup. Sure. Um, but I do want to ask you a question. You ready? Yeah. Can you name a single player on the U.S. team? Just one. Is Alexi Lala still a player? Yeah, no. <laughs> not like 20 years ago? Um, more. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I can't name a single player on the U.S. team. Okay, I won't. Can I won't. you? Uh, yeah, sure. Christian like Pulisic. Uh, he's he's here best player. Um, he's one of the best players. I mean, he's he's the he's a, a scorer. He plays for Chelsea, so he's. I mean, they they have uh, Gio Reyna as like the young guy who's kind of you know he's a, uh, he's from the New York metropolitan area yeah. and he's. Can we win any games? Yeah, we we play. Um, I Wales mean, by the time today. we we play we play Wales today and 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 we play England on Friday, which we probably won't win. I hate to say we, but it is the country. Yeah. Um, you have a uh, and so yeah, I think I, I mean. Iran is the other team in the group, so um, those between the, those three games, I'd say we win one, we draw one, and we lose one. So is that enough to advance to the next probably, round? Probably, yeah, probably because I think, um, yeah, probably should be. So all right, so I'm, I'm not a soccer fan, but he, here was the, the text that I sent you this morning, right? Which is, oh yeah, um, so the Qataris, if that's the right way to pronounce it, you know, uh, some, but let's just stick with the Qataris for, for sake of this podcast. Um, <laughs> They've spent over $200 billion preparing for this World Cup, right? They've built eight stadiums that are outdoors and yet air-conditioned. And then you can built. take apart and put somewhere else. Yeah, I'm sure those going to be super high demand. Um, they're going to, they've built subways. So they've built all kinds of stuff, right? And some of it will be good for their future going forward because it required, it made demands, infrastructure investments that were necessary but are sometimes otherwise hard to do, although less hard in an authoritarian country than in a democratic society. But... You know, there's this, now this controversy where, I guess, the captain of England and maybe some other teams wanted to wear an armband. There were a whole bunch of countries, with, yeah. With, with the rainbow flag. Mm-hmm. And Qatar, Qatar, wherever you want to say it, um, is a sort of a oppressive regime that does not allow or recognize the rights of people who are, who are gay. So um, they, of course, are banning this. And they said to FIFA, you have to stop this. And FIFA, as I at least read, said anyone who, who has it will get a yellow card, which then leads to them ultimately probably being potentially thrown out of the game entirely, which means no one's going to do that because no one can take that kind of risk for their team. To me, this is such a stupid move by the Qataris. They have spent $200 billion. God knows what the indictments are going to be by the time they figure out who bribed who to to get this stuff in the first place, right? Um, Well, I think they know. They can't prove it, but I think they know. And you can have the entire thing derailed by this one controversy, right? Because the media, the Western media, wants is desperately looking for an issue to beat up yeah, on but, the Qataris. But over. they've been this, beating up for the Qataris for ten years. I mean, look, I think it's stupid but that's too. That's why they but, paid. But they paid the money to try to change that. Yeah, but they. I mean, I mean, I don't. It's it's hard to believe all the numbers you hear about the number of 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 uh, migrant workers who. Well, they're not migrant workers. Um, what are they called? Im- well, immigrant. Well, the immigrants, but they yeah. but they have. Um, they, they don't have any, you know, status in the country except yeah. to work. Um, how many? I mean, certainly dozens at, at a minimum died building the um, stadiums, um, possibly into the hundreds or thousands. If you're willing to do that, right? Well, but it's, what, it's uh, what, no, like, no, no, no. But like, you're, so, you're, so you're, you're going to get point. some press about an armband? No, 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 I mean, no, no. <laughs> it's a different thing. So this is not a question of what you're willing or not to do. Let's assume that these are just murderous 
dictator, terrible people. Let's just stipulate that, right? <laughs> maybe true, maybe not, but let's just stipulate that. You don't spend $200 billion if you're not concerned about your global image, if you're not trying to promote and burnish a certain perspective and a certain image, right? You otherwise wouldn't do that. And by allowing this controversy to happen over the gay armbands, um, it overshadows potentially all the things that they have done, right? So you have all these reporters from the West who already want to find ways to criticize the host country. Um, you know, disproportionate number of reporters seem to be gay and lesbian for whatever reason. And so by this specific issue, if you let them wear it, you know what, in like a day or two, it would burn itself out as an issue. But by, by banning it, it's going to be an issue throughout the entire thing. And Well, look, I think here here's what's happening. The Qataris yeah. are showing us who they really are. I mean, certainly the leadership. I'm not going to speak for the, all the Qatari people because I do think that there seems to be a divide between the, you know, the, the, the governing class of the country and the people organizing the World Cup. I think they thought issues like that would work out. I think they thought that, like, oh, sure, it's just an armband. Like, you know, um, no one's going to freak out about that. And then they did freak out. And then they have done this thing. And so their, their attitude is like, this isn't a negotiable point for us. This is like, this is how we run our country. That, that's fine. But then, <laughs> but then if what you're saying is too fucking bad, here's how we do things, why did you just spend $200 billion to try to show the world otherwise? Because it's worked out in the past for other countries. I mean, Russia had the World Cup last time. You know, it's like, uh, I mean, I, I think in the end, they still got the World Cup. They still have the soccer. You know, the next three weeks, the conversation is yeah, not going to be about armbands. It's going to be about soccer. And so it's going to be, they're going to be like, yeah, look at these amazing games that we hosted. That will and be some of amazing it, but, but more of it will be about arm. The, the point is, if they had just let the armbands happen, it wouldn't have been that big. Look, we're in agreement they should have let the armbands happen. I think it's, that's true. But but I, I just don't I don't see I don't see the expectation well, well, that they would have. Let's just, if you are an authoritarian regime <laughs> and your goal Wait, is Wait, so you get to run Nikki Haley's campaign, but I have to be an authoritative regime. Exactly. And if your goal is to try to whitewash your bad acts and burnish your image through the use of money, which China certainly did when they hosted both the Summer and the Winter Olympics. Russia was different because that was just about Putin stealing as much money as he possibly could. Um, but if, if that's your goal here, it is so nonsensical to then allow a controversy to happen that you know, simply because of the way the media works, will, see, will threaten to overwhelm the entire thing. If you're an authoritarian regime and if you are spending all this money for this purpose, you have to be able to foresee where these controversies are going to come and preempt them. Yeah, I guess I don't see this overwhelming the whole thing though, and that's the that's the that's the issue, and that's the bet they're making. And I I, I agree, it's a, it's it's it's. A, but it's why a, would it, you why would you put two hundred billion dollars at risk like that over an armband? Well, they don't consider it putting it at risk. They're like they're yeah. like sure we can we can take a couple of days of bad press. I I, th I think it completely defeats the purpose of why they're doing this. Um, all right, airports. Right. Yep. Um, so, okay, the, I, this list in the Wall Street Journal, they ranked the airports um, in the, uh, I have the top five. Yeah, I'm, five. I'm, I'm literally, as we're talking, I'm, calling myself, I'm going to have to be on CNN in like 30 minutes. So, oh, really? And not from here. So I am going to call myself an Uber while we are talking, but I will God, also answer your question. You are an incredible multitasker. About the, actually says 856, so I can give myself two more minutes. Okay. okay. So here we go. Um, uh, this is the large airport. So the top 20 large scale airports, the top Five, yep. San Francisco, Atlanta, Minneapolis, Detroit, Phoenix. Okay. Bottom five, Miami, Dallas, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Newark. Well, you said Miami twice. I did? I, I did. So. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Newark and Kennedy. Right. Kennedy. It's Miami, Dallas, Fort Lauderdale, Kennedy, and Newark. Right. But so, Miami is on there twice. Yeah. So they are? No. Oh. Some <laughs> of these things are... 
here's the problem. So for anyone who travels a lot and, and travels to these airports knows, it, it's kind of, it's not binary, right? It's not all good or all bad. It really depends on the terminal, right? So at JFK, if you were in Terminal 8 or Terminal 4 or Terminal 5, it, they're pretty nice. That's, Which one that's, is Delta? What is that? Delta's 4. Delta's 5. JetBlue is 5. American is 8. Those are nice terminals. If you're on the international terminal at number one or whatever it is, or Delta at number two, it's fucking terrible. And so the, the experience you're going to have, and this is true at LAX, this is true. I haven't been to SFO in a while, and I would hope not to go for a while, but that was certainly true when I was traveling more often to San Francisco. Um, LaGuardia, right? LaGuardia, even when the new terminals is great, but even before they opened the new terminal, you know, the, the Delta and US Air pieces weren't as bad, right? Um, so... These things are really variable, and then the question just becomes inherent factors. And to me, the biggest one where I thought maybe the survey got it wrong is just how long does it take to get there? So, for example, on the mid-sized airport list that had DCA, Reagan, mm -hmm. um, kind of near the bottom. And it's not a great airport. It's fine. I was there a week Super ago. convenient, though. But, right. So, yeah. so I was given a speech, and I wanted to take – Megan had me on the 2 p.m. flight back, and I said I can make the one – and she said, you can't. You're not going to even get out of there. And she was like at 11. Like, you're not even going to get out of there until noon. And I was like, I spent two years commuting back and forth between New York and D.C. I will make it at this time of day to the airport in 15 minutes. I will have tons of time to spare. And that's exactly what happened. So to me, even though it's, it's an okay airport, it's not like, you know, every amenity you could possibly imagine, um, it's really close. Whereas JFK, if I'm going to Terminal 8, it's a lovely terminal. And if I'm going at 5.30 in the morning, I'll get there it's in the 25 minutes. the only time minutes. you can go. Right. But if you're going at, at 4 p.m. on a Friday, it's two and a half hours, right? So it seems to me that the, the biggest factors would be, one, how nice are the terminals or not, but that's not consistent across every airport. Two, how hard is it to get there from the downtown or wherever it is that you are? And three, how congested are those runways? So how long are you waiting there to take off and land? Th those are the issues, right? I didn't feel like the journal's uh, methodology really captured it accurately. So I, I want to give props to the, the journal for this this uh, story they did years ago, where they um, they rated restaurants that you could get to from every major airport. Like if you had like two hours, you know, oh, yeah, could cool. you leave? And it was, it was like, well, it, tell me, t t well, you know, the place that I would say for JFK, we went there the summer. Oh, we did. What was it called again? Don Pepe's in Ozone Park. <laughs> now it's a dinner place. You couldn't get lunch there, <laughs> but it is like some of the best Italian food in New York. It is so far away from Manhattan. It's like, you go past the airport, you keep going. <laughs> oh, right. We did eat that. But that was, was excellent. Fucking great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cash only. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that would be a good example. But that was an example of like a, like a, a way to cover airports that fit with how people actually use them as well, opposed to these sort of generic. Metrics. Well, then, as we're waiting for the Subaru, I'll ask one more question to you, which is, in, in terms of amenities at airports, right? Like, of course, you want more more options than fewer. But, like, I don't know, you and I both use a gym a lot. Would you really work out at the airport? Uh, never. No. Correct. Would you go to a movie? No. Um, would you go to, like, a spa treatment? No, I, I don't like to do anything at the airport. I just want to get on my plane. Like, I don't, under, I don't understand. I don't even like to go to, like, the, the lounges unless I'm, like, stuck there for hours. Like, yeah. I just don't want to settle I'll, in. I, like, right. I, <laughs> I go to the lounge if I have more than an hour or so. But if it's within an hour, even though I have access to the lounge, I'll just sit at the gate. Because yeah. it's just, it's easier. Exactly. So, Bradley, have a happy man. Thanksgiving. Thank you, too.